Father, thank you for this opportunity. And for the last many days, I've been uh, asking you and sharing that when we come here and the word is, your word is brought forth, you feed everybody. Nobody should go out of here and somebody say, well, what would you get out of it today? I don't know. I'm not sure. I have to go read my notes. No, you feed each and every one. Nobody has an excuse to walk out of here with nothing. You speak to each and every one of us. So, Father, I'm asking that you, you brother Tom here, you're the mouth, you're your, he's your mouth for us today. So, Father, that each one of us, he would, he would preach what you want him to preach, and that we know that we, each one of us, if we want to hear, you will speak to each and every one of us, Lord God. And thank you for filling up and growing in sanctification. And oh, how so how worthy are you. Thank you, Abba Father. Amen. Amen. You are worthy, God. During worship, the Lord said to me, um, so I, I, from up here, I was looking at the same thing Lonnie described, which is, it's that time of year people are on vacation. We just had a bunch of kids come back from IHOP KC. People were driving all night. You know, look at the room. And when we were in, in the middle of worship, the Lord said to me, there were three on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> there were three in the most glorious moment, you know, in the testimony of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he said, you'll see the kingdom come with power. There were three guys there. And then Moses and Elijah, so... Lord, we just thank you for the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeshua, we thank you that you say where two or three are gathered, you're here with us. We just want to feel that. We want to feel the power of this meeting and this time together. I just thank you for Brother Tim and the way that he prays um, what the Spirit is saying. So I just agree. Amen. Okay, I am pinch-hitting this morning for Mrs. Moorsman, though I feel like it's a divine appointment. So I had actually a message ready when Jen messaged me last night. She messaged me about 6.30. I didn't see it till about 10.30. But I knew that it was okay because I already get, the Lord had already given me this message. So we were ready to go. So let's pray for Jen, actually. Holy Spirit, we're asking that you'd release healing into our sister's body. We thank you for her. Lord, we thank you for the way she serves us. And we're asking you touch her right now. In the name of Jesus, that she that this day, Lord, that it would be a good day for her and that um, she'd feel uh, well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today is Seated in the Heavens with Yeshua, part two. So last week, I started to talk about the fact that I'm going to spend some time this summer laying out this, this teaching in the, in the book of Ephesians about how to get back to first love. That's really what Ephesians is about, and that's really about identity, so in the Bible, in John, in 1 John, John is really clear. In fact, John talks about love over and over and over in 1 John. And that's how you know you're ready for that last days, is when perfect love has cast out your fear and made you bold for the time of judgment. But John says some really clear and unique things. And one of the things that he says is, we only love because God first loved us. And so if we, if we want to approach this idea of love growing cold in the last days, of perfect love casting out all fear, of love making us bold, we have to know that's an idea that is connected directly to identity. So Abba, I just feel like during the worship time, so many things came out that were about this message. And the, the, the praying 
the singing about Abba, the singing about the Father's love, the singing about taking the next step. This is all about identity. And the book of Ephesians is actually a book that's designed to take us from our earthly identity and seat us in the heavens with Christ. Now, heaven and earth, they're coming together right now in this season. And you can see it. You can see it because earth is resisting heaven. That's what tribulation is simply, the resistance of the flesh to the changing of the government of the earth. And the government of the earth is changing. You can know that because of all the trouble that the flesh is having. All of the the fear, all the consternation, all the impatience, all the wild. I mean, have you noticed in the last couple of years just the wild swinging efforts, like canceling all student loan debt when we can't afford it? And I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a look at the flailing of mankind statement. The, The war in Russia and then this, you know, private mercenary commander, Prozogin, then wildly flailing against Putin. And then they're like, where is he at? No one knows where he's at. He's been killed. And then he shows up in Belarus. Like there's all this wild flailing that the flesh is doing. That should tell us, oh, there's a war happening in the heavens. There's, it's instability. It's the raging ocean that the beast comes out of. This is, we're literally witnessing with this with our eyes. And so we want to know, okay, in the midst of all this tribulation and flailing, where's the stability? And the stability is finding your identity in the heavenly realm because your identity in the earthly realm is being shaken. It's intentionally. God doesn't want you to have an identity without him. Do you see what I'm saying? And so right now, if you find your identity in the heavenly realm, if you're like, this is who I really am, this is where I belong, then as the heavenly realm comes and superimposes itself on the earthly realm, you won't feel upset. <laughs> You'll actually be like, okay, my reality is coming home, not going away. If you feel like your reality, your identity is going away, it's on the line, you're afraid of who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing. If you don't know that, then as heaven comes, you're actually pushed out, and you don't want that to happen. You actually want to be awake, vibrant, alert, with oil to see in the night. Exactly the, the song picked that Noah picked for today, which was Make Us Ready. So, God, we're asking that you'd make us ready. Now, I think this is no coincidence. If you look at item one on the notes, the very first item is ready to meet Jesus. Noah did not know that that was going to be the first item when he picked make us ready. (laughs) Okay, so let's start with John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Everybody say love. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. How has God loved you? Completely patiently, mercifully, hopefully, joyfully. I mean, we were just thinking about it for like an hour. He joyfully loves us. Even when we deserve hell, even when we're railing against him, he joyfully loves us. Now, do you, I want you to look around this room, and I just want you to imagine that it was filled in with all the people who would normally be here. Do you joyfully love one another? Do you patiently love one another? Do you hopefully love one another? Or do you grit your teeth? And just try to stay with each other and call that love. That's not love. Love is the way that Christ loves us. He's not gritting his teeth being like, I just, you know, I'll deal with them, God, as long as I have to. In his flesh, he was tempted that. In fact, he said that in his flesh, in his earthly ministry. He actually said, how long do I have to put up with this generation? He said that. He felt, in his flesh, he felt it, but he didn't give in to his flesh. He had victory over it, and he healed the guy. Do you see what I'm saying? Are we doing this? Are we following Yeshua this way? Are we saying, God, yes, this is really 
messed up. It's really broken our relationships, the way that our church operates, the way that the church in Kalamazoo operates, the way the church globally operates. But I need to learn to love my brothers as you love me, as you love me. Do you see what I'm saying? This is, this is the stability and the flailing of the flesh, trying to fix problems it doesn't even understand. It doesn't even know if they're problems. The flesh is flailing right now. All over the earth, in every sector of life, the flesh is flailing. And we don't want to be a people that react to what other people do. That's why the flesh is flailing. We want to be a people that prophetically come up in identity to our destiny so that we can overflow in love to very unlovable people like us. Do you see what I'm saying? So if love is only reciprocal, that's not the love of God. The love of God is not reciprocal. Jesus loved us with an overflow of the Father's love. And people said, kill him, and he said, Father, forgive him. Do you see what I'm saying? It wasn't reciprocal. So if you're like, I love reciprocally, and I'm waiting for you to kind of get it together, and then I'll love you more, that's Satan talking to you. We actually have to be a people that are like, I love you because God loves me, and I know if I love you, there's a chance that we'll both find ourselves before the throne of love, right? That's what Jesus did. He actually gave himself in a, in a risky, a faith choice that there, that joy set before him would be given unto him. And he said, will I find faith when I come? This was a question that he actually asked his disciples, will I find faith when I come? That means he, what he did on the cross, he did in faith. He did it not knowing for sure who the Father would give him. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. Now, item one, ready to meet Jesus, equals love for those he is calling to heaven with you. Oh, I, I didn't finish my, the, the very first verse. So, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, without this love, you're actually not being seen as a witness of, as being a disciple of Jesus without this love. In fact, if you don't have this love and you do all the things that Jesus said people that love him would do, you're what's called a false witness. You do not want to be a false witness. You don't want to be a person that is an imposter of the things that Jesus said real people that loved him and were loved by him would do. And if you're loved by God, First John tells us, you would actually love other people. If you say you love God and don't love the person you can see right in front of you, you're a liar. That's what he says. Because if you love God, that only came from his love touching you. And if his love touches you, then you see other people the way that he sees them more and more and more unto his appearing. And so in this room right now, I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for the people that aren't in this room right now that we, are, we know are with us. Father, would you touch us with a sobriety in the secret thing you see going on in our heart where we're just trying to get along with people as opposed to love them? Lord, would you forgive us for replacing the very high standard you gave us with the very low standard of what we can do? And would you help us to believe in the miracle of love and open our hearts this morning in the name of Yeshua, amen. We don't want to replace the very high standard Jesus sets for us with the low standard of what we can do because that denies his lordship over us. We actually want to say, that's a high standard, Jesus. I couldn't do that. And then he'll give us the change that we need to actually love one another. Okay? So to be ready to meet Jesus equals love for those he is calling to heaven with you. Because he's not going to make you love people in heaven. If you don't love the people he's calling to heaven, you won't get to go there. And you really want to go there. Okay? So to be ready for Jesus means to be found in three things. Faith, hope, 
in love. When Jesus appears, if you want to be part of the first resurrection, you want him to find you in faith, hope, and love. Now, I'm not talking about perfect execution of these things. I'm talking about being in the perfect truth of them to say, I don't love like Jesus. I don't have faith like Jesus. I don't hope like him, but I could if I'll open up, tell him the truth, and keep asking and receiving. If he finds me giving the other servants the right food at the right time, he'll take me. This is what it says in Matthew 24, and he'll make me leader over his discipling of the nations. So there's a thousand-year reign of Jesus coming where he's actually going to disciple the nations into faith, hope, and love. And if you want to be a part of that first resurrection, the leaders that help him do that, you want him to find you actually eating the truths about faith, hope, and love for yourself and then giving other people a testimony so they could eat too if they wanted to. That's what I'm doing this morning. I've been eating my need. I've been, I've been digesting the truth of Ephesians, showing me my need to love people, not just get along with them to actually find my identity in the heavenly realm. And then I'm testifying to you about it, and you get to pick. And it's what Tim was praying. You get to pick if you want to eat it too, okay? And if he finds you giving the other servants the right food at the right time, he says, I will take that servant. That's the wise servant. I'll make him ruler over all my house. That's the first resurrection. That's what you want. So in Revelation 20, you can read about him taking some, giving him crowns, and they rule with him and reign with him for a 1,000 years over the earth. If you don't like that, There's a thousand-year bonus round for mankind that makes it through the tribulation to live in natural bodies and get discipled that way. I don't think you want to get discipled that way for a thousand years. I think you actually want to learn it now in faith and get the reward or the crown of leadership for that thousand years, right? Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 to 9. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Now, if you know this passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, it starts off by saying, we know he's coming like a thief in the night. But not for you, dear brothers, right? You're awake and sober. He's not coming like a thief in the night if you're awake and sober, okay? So this is is about that same reality. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Now, the night is an allegory for spiritual darkness. That's what it's talking about. You're living in the night right now. This is the night. It's hard to see how this thing is going to be good. It's hard to see that Jesus is even returning unless you know by the Spirit the things to look for. It's actually what it's easy to see is the hatred, the selfishness in the church even, right? And that's, that's the night that this is describing. But you don't want to be a person that falls asleep in the night and starts reacting and like flailing. You actually want to be a person that's sober in the night. Those who, are, who get drunk get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of, everybody say it, faith and love, okay? And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith, hope, and love. These are the three things you want him to find you in. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you'd be tempted in your flesh to think, I want him to find me in works. I want him to find me evangelizing. I want him to find me being nice, right? I want him to find me having forgiven everyone. You can mimic all of those behaviors. You can mimic a believer in those areas. No, you want him to find you in faith, knowing that what you're seeing is not the thing that defines reality. What he says defines reality. That's faith. Hope, this is good. What's happening is good, right? Noah Noah prophesied it during worship. We can actually have joy in tribulation if we know he's using all these things for the good of those who love him. And then love, like you want him to find you in love. In love, when God loves you, I want you to think about this for a second, is he always nice to you when he loves you? 
He's always kind. He's always gentle. He's always righteous. But he's not always what our flesh would say is nice. He actually says some things to us that sound not nice. And then we digest and we're like, oh, he freed me by telling me that thing. But he says it gently, humbly, kindly, right? But he does say the thing that the world would say that's not nice, right? He says the truth. Do you get what I'm saying? And so we actually want to be found in love. We want to be found in love with our spouses, found in love with our families, found in love with our church. And really, the point of Ephesians is to be found in love with your brothers, with your church. And so we have to be a people. They're not nice to each other, trying to get along and keep it together. We have to be a people that love each other. We're gentle. We're kind. We're long-suffering. We're not waiting for reciprocation. We're actually saying, no, he's so, he's so patient with me. He's so gentle with me. He's so true with me. But he's so fruit of the spirit with me. I want to be that way with the people around me. That's the love that you want to be found in. So most of the church will be false witnesses appointed to wrath because they'll be hard, guarded, external. So I want you to picture the Last Supper. Picture all those 12 guys sitting at the table. One of them was hard. One of them was guarded. One of them was doing something nobody else knew about except for Jesus. Jesus wasn't fooled. He knew what was going on in the heart of Judas. Like, you don't want to be hard-guarded, kind of this, your own secret agenda, you know, to get along or whatever. You actually want to be vulnerable, but you want to be wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. You don't want to be, you don't want to actually need other people to love you. You want to actually give the love that God gives to you to other people. Do you see what I'm saying? So it says Jesus, when the multitude surrounded him, he says he didn't trust his heart to any of them. Did he not love them? Oh, he definitely loved them. He just didn't need anything from people to give them what God was giving him to give them. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the way you need to be found by God. You actually have to get above the flesh and the flesh's need to trade. And you come to the place where you're like, okay, I love you because he first loved me. (laughs) And I love you because I love him. And like we have this whole thing going on where I know who I am in him. He tells me I'm safe. He tells me I'm okay. He tells me I don't really need anything from anyone. I try to carry my heart this way in my marriage. Do you know if you carry your heart this way in your marriage, you can actually not try to manipulate your spouse to give you the things you think you need from a spouse. You can actually just give them the things God is giving them. Now, I'm not perfect at it. I'm not even good at it. But it is the goal that God set in my mind. And that needs to be the goal in all of our hearts, is to be in relationship with people where we don't need anything from them, but we love them. And we give them freely from what God's given us, knowing that their reciprocation isn't the source of our emotion. He's the source of our emotion. Do you see what I'm saying? That's The earth is running out of love because it's reciprocal. And the Bible says it's going to fully run out of love to the point where the Holocaust is going to look like a warm-up game. We were talking about the Holocaust earlier. That's coming again. It says that the the city of Jerusalem is going to be laid siege to. A third of the city escapes. A third is captured and killed. And a third is kept under siege. Like, we don't want to be a part of the lovelessness. I mean, Nazi Germany was a loveless reality. Do you know what I mean? Like, one day, neighbors were sharing sugar over the fence, smiling, being nice. And then the next day, they were literally taking their neighbors' houses and killing them, putting them on train cars to be killed. So we don't want to give in to nice. Nice is flesh. Nice is fake. It's shallow. We actually want to be a people that love so that we don't get caught up in the loss of love on the earth. Okay? Matthew 7, 19 to 23. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. And the primary fruits being love, okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? He's talking about the church. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So doing the things that look like people that love God without the love that's called lawlessness or false or fruitless. You don't want, you don't, he's not looking for works from us. He doesn't need our help. He's looking for us to open our hearts and become loving people when the earth is becoming unloving. Now, I want you to follow my little arrow. See that little arrow? That's a, that's a word thing that you can do. You can put a little character in there. This is my arrow. Do you see the arrow, Noah? You following me? You don't have the notes? Oh, my word. All right, look, there's, a, there's an arrow right here. This one, he says, who does the will of my father? I want you to go back to John 13 where we started. Is this a commandment? Are commandments optional with Jesus? No, you got to do them. This is the, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Why does he say it's a new commandment? Well, because it wasn't in the Jewish law this way. It wasn't part of the Ten Commandments. But he's saying, actually, all those commandments, they hung on these two things, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So he really wasn't giving a new commandment. He was saying, I mean, he's giving a new commandment, but the point is, it was in the Ten Commandments, right? That the point of all the way that you treat each other was because God is love, and he cares about the way that we relate to him, and he cares about the way we relate to each other. And so this is the point. This is, you need to be found this way. You don't need to be found with a Bible in your hand. There's, you know that most of the people that ever got saved, saved throughout history that found Jesus and started following him, they never owned a Bible. You don't need to be found in a Bible study. You don't need to be found even necessarily in a prayer room, though a prayer room is the most helpful place to do what he's talking about. You need to be found in love in faith and in hope. So this would be really sad, wouldn't it, if we came and we did week after week for eight years, nine years, ten years, however long it is until he comes, and we ran a tread right in this carpet. Like, what if we just wore this carpet out, coming up and praying, coming up and praying, and never found the love? Wouldn't that be a waste? Wouldn't that be so tragic that we wouldn't go to heaven? We wouldn't be part of the first resurrection. We wouldn't be part of discipling the nations. We would have wasted Eight years, a, a very nice building, and a bunch of people's time if we never found the love, if we never found the faith, if we never found the hope. Wouldn't that be terrible? That'd be more tragic than never finding this place. And that's what the book of Ephesians is actually laying out. That's what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. He's like, yeah, I see your love, your pa- or your, I see your patience, your service, your works. What about the first love? What about the first love? You could do church for 30, 40, 60 years. And if you don't find the love, you wasted your whole life. That's what he said to the rich young ruler. who said, I obeyed all the commands. He says, you still lack one thing. He wasn't saying add this one thing. He's saying, you did all that and you still lack the one thing? Give it all away and follow me. I'm a loving guy. I'm going to lay down my life for people that hate me. I'm going to lay down my life for my friends and they're going to run away from me. One of them is going to betray me. They're all going to deny me, right? But Jesus loved so that we could love. Does that make sense? You guys with me? 
So most of the church are going to be false witnesses appointed to wrath because they'll be hard, guarded, external imposters, not changed people who have the kingdom inside their thinking, their emotions, and directing their will. This road is very narrow. The Bible is clear in Matthew 7. Few are going to find this. So you can't gauge what Christianity looks like by what the church looks like. You have to gauge what it means to follow Jesus by what he says and what he did. Okay? You can't look at all the churches in town and be like, well, Tom, nobody else believes that. Well, he said the road's narrow and few are going to find it. So if you're looking at all the people on the road, you have to know you're looking at a ton of people that aren't finding it. Are you finding it? Are you on the narrow road? Are you the one or the two or the three that is actually like, I don't care how people treat me. I'm going to love. I'm going to be open. I'm going to be unguarded. I'm going to be innocent as a dove. Why is this a serpent? I'm not going to expect people to treat me reciprocally. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to be safe like Jesus was safe. Okay? And Jesus was safe. He was so safe. Love is growing cold right now, and the temptation will be to grit our teeth and to stay loyal. That's not love. That's the flesh, and it will fail. I guarantee it will fail. You will actually find yourself in a group of people killing other people if you do that. Don't grit your teeth and try to stay loyal to Jesus. That's what Peter tried to do, right? He's like, I'm ready to die for you, Lord. He said, Peter, you're going to die on me three times before the rooster crows tonight. Don't grit your teeth and try to stay loyal. Open your mouth and tell him, I've got all these feelings inside. I don't like the people you put me with. I really don't like a lot of the things you're saying, but I know I need to change me, and he will. You can't change you. You can tell him you want to change, and he will. Tim, does this work, telling him you need to change? You bet. He's one of the wisest people I know. He's been around a little while. This works. This, what I'm saying is not theory. This is practicality. And some of us, it takes us our whole lives. I, I lived in the church for 40 years before I knew any of these things. I went to church literally almost every day of my life for 40 years. I never heard anybody at church tell me this. But it's true. It's true. And maybe they did try to tell me, and I couldn't hear it. But the point is, it might take you some time, but the truth is, you can't change you. You can only tell God you want him to change you and then be patient in the process how he does that. And the point to the letter of Ephesus, so the church in Ephesus was, you did this, but you lost the love. You lost the love. You mimicked the behavior of people I'm changing, but without the love, I'm not really changing you. You're just gritting your teeth and trying to do it, okay? So love is growing cold right now, and the temptation will be to grit our teeth and stay loyal, stay engaged, and stay on track. This is what Jesus warned Ephesus of in Revelation 2. But it's a warning throughout the entire Bible. So it wasn't just to the church in Ephesus. In fact, if you really mind it out, he said this to basically every church in the churches, uh, the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. But he says it in many places other than that. So this is Matthew 24 where Jesus said it. Now Jesus, when he said this, was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and he was looking down at the Temple Mount. If you sit on the Mount of Olives and where, where this happened, you're actually looking at the temple, okay? And this is what he said. Many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, he's talking to the church. He's not talking about the world. The world cannot love in the biblical definition of love. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You can't love the way that Jesus defines love, the way that God defines love. You can't love that way if you're in the world. It's only, that part of the kingdom is something you can only see if you're born again. That's the way Jesus said it to Nicodemus in John 3. You can only see real love 
if you've got the spirit inside of you. So when you read this, in the offense and the betrayal and the hating and then the false prophets and then lawlessness will abound and love grows cold, that means love was hot at one point in time. And he's talking about the church, okay? So have confidence, this is about the church. But he who endures, that means endures in love, to the end shall be saved. This is only a message to the church. Biblical love requires the spirit. The world can't lose what it doesn't have. The world's going to hell, you know that, right? He's not warning the world that if they lose something, they're going to go to hell. They're already going to hell. He's looking for a witness that will endure in love when love is tested. Anybody here ever had love tested? You've been in a relationship. You're feeling the excitement of it. You're feeling affection. You're feeling open. You're feeling engaged. And then love is tested. These are the moments where you don't want to let love grow cold. You, don't, you actually want to come out of the reciprocal nature of relationship, get into the heavens with Jesus, seated in the heavens, and then still release love. That's the goal. That's the point. That's the, that's the reason we come here and do this, okay? Enduring equals enduring in fervent love, like Jesus' love, or sacrifice for God that gives us victory over fear, shame, hardness, distraction, jealousy, impatience, and self-protection. Guarded and indifferent is the counter to love. So hatred is not the counter to love. Hatred is an emotion that is usually just as reactive as love. It's like, you know, love, hate. Some people are in, you know, codependent relationships where hatred and love kind of flow back and forth pretty regularly. The, the, The counter of love is indifference. I don't care. I don't care about you. I've cut you off. I'll deal with you, but I don't care. That is the, that's the road to hell. That's the wide road to hell. That's what Ephesus is doing in Revelation 2. And he's like, I'm going to remove your lampstand. You can't possibly minister the gospel to people and not love them. You can't possibly stir each other up in love and good works and not love them. You can't be indifferent and do church together is what he's saying. You can't be indifferent. That's a, that's a human flesh protection, okay? I can't trust you. I'll just be indifferent to you. Okay, whatever. I'm with you. Let's go. That's not love. Love takes a chance again. That's what Jesus keeps doing with you. He keeps taking a chance again with you. Even when you sin against him, when you deny his leadership over your life, and you say you're sorry, and you come back to him, he takes a chance. He's open, wide open to you all over again. And the, the disciples asked Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive each other this way? He said, 70 times 7, right? He said, that's how much God's forgiving you. Just keep on doing it fully. That, that, was, that answer was, it wasn't a math problem. It was a fully problem, okay? So Satan, he's warring against love, not the spread of the gospel message. I'm going to say that one more time. Satan is not warring against the spread of the gospel message. He's warring against love. He loves it when loveless people spread the gospel message because it's a false witness. It puts a burden on people that they could never bear. He wants to break people with the gospel. You ever, you ever felt that yourself? You read the Bible and you're like, it's so heavy what's required. I could never do that. I think I'll just kind of turn away. He couldn't possibly expect. That's the good news breaking you. But Jesus didn't deliver the good news that way. He delivered it in love. He delivered it in a way that said, just take the next step with me. I'll help you. Like, I know you can't do this on your own. That's why I came and died on a cross for you. I actually don't want people spreading my truth without my heart, is what he would say. That's, that's not representing me well, and it's corrupting the message, okay? So this is Satan's main strategy. He wars against love by actually using people who have no love to imp- be imposters of spreading the gospel. 
Closed off, hard, offended people. That's false witnesses that help his cause. This is what Satan is warring against. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8, we might be like, if the, if the Spirit's poured out, Satan's going to war against healing. No, he loves it when loveless people perform acts of healing. He loves it. We were, Noah and I were talking a couple days ago about people getting pushed down in meetings. Satan loves it when an anointed person in the spirit gets into the flesh lovelessly and uses the spirit to try and bolster their own ego. Because it's, it's, it's warring against the love that actually all this is about. So when you read in 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts of the spirit, then Paul says, but there's a better way. What's the better way? Love. And then he gives us in 1 Corinthians 14 how to do meetings filled with the spirit in love. And he's like, if two or three are there prophesying, let one prophesy. When the next one starts, let the other one be quiet. Right? If you've got a, a, a Holy Spirit-inspired tongue that's of another language, if you start to use that and there's no interpreter, love the people around you. Just keep it to yourself. Pray to yourself is what it says. So it, it, we have to understand Satan's not warring against the works that are born for, from love. He actually likes to see those corrupted. He's warring against the love that should be behind it all. Okay? So my point is we don't want to come here, contend for the Spirit, be, look like a people that are praying, that are like, we're so committed. We've been doing this for so many years. We keep these prayer meetings going. And if there's no love here, not only is it a bad witness for the world, Jesus doesn't believe it. He knows. He knows what we're feeling inside. He knows, okay? So this is what Satan's warning against. 1 Corinthians 13, one day. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains. Could you imagine having the kind of faith that would move objects? But without love, he says, it would profit me nothing. I am nothing, he says. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and I give my body to be burned, I could, be a, I could literally be a martyr, but have not love, it would profit me nothing. God wouldn't believe it, Right? Um, love suffers long. Everybody say suffers long. You ever suffered in a relationship? Love suffers a little bit longer. That's hard. And what this is, this is saying is impossible. But God, right? It's impossible but God. So the only way you're going to find what this passage is talking about, what's the answer to my, my, my statement? The only way you're going to find this love is by something being poured out on you. What is that? The Spirit. The only way you're going to find, that's why it's in the passage about the pouring out of the Spirit, right? This is the whole point of prophecy. This is the whole point of healing. This is the whole point of working out our salvation. The agitation of the washing machine is love. When God pours out his Spirit, and he has poured out it here many times, when he does that, people find all kinds of weird things going on in their heart, offenses, misunderstandings, uh, selfish ambition, lethargy, like we get tired. It's just like all the things we read about in the book of Acts. All that agitation is supposed to pop love out of the washing machine. We're supposed to be pulling love out of this washing machine. If we're not pulling love out of it, then we're just miserable and accomplishing nothing. So we have to be a people that are like, man, I'm feeling all the pain. Don't let me feel all the pain and not get the love. Right? You don't want to get to the end of the ride and find out, oh, man, I wasted it all because I didn't pull the love out. Now, this is a word in season. The, the, the Bible works in a process. The reason that Jesus writes the letters to the seven churches is because it's the end times, right? We're living in the moment where we've walked through the Shulamite story. 
the Shulamite has moments where she's not feeling that much love, right? She hasn't been loved. She's been reciprocal. She goes, she gets invited to the mountain. She says, no. The Lord walks away. He comes back to her. So don't be condemned if you're like, I actually don't have very much love in this washing machine. Be like, oh, we're at the part of the story where I can start saying, okay, you did all this cleaning. Give me the love. Don't don't do all the things that Ephesus was famous for and then not give me the love, God, right? That's an end time message. So if you are responding to what the Spirit is saying rightly, you're not feeling condemned at all. You're like, okay, it's right on track. Now's the time to start getting that love, that first love. This is, this is what God wants to do all over the earth right now. He wants to give first love. This isn't a like path God lays out for us and he's like, okay, let's see how you do. Many people think that the gospel is some path God's laid out for them. He's like, okay, let's see how you do. We'll see if you make it. No, this is a path that's guaranteed. If you just keep saying yes, you're at the part of the story where you need first love. You're at the part of the story. So don't miss that square. You know, I just pictured the, the, the piece in the game of sorry, and it like goes from square to square to square. Don't get to that square and be like, okay, I guess I lost. Take the next step. Get the love. Do you see what I'm saying? Take the next step. Get the love. That's what the point of these teachings are for. They're not a, hey, you've been doing it wrong. They're a, hey, we're at the part of the story where he wants to give us the thing that will make all the other things make sense. Otherwise, none of this makes sense. We just wasted a bunch of time, right? Let's, let's take the next step with him. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. This is a hard one for me. How about you? It's not provoked. We all have good reasons to be kind of annoyed with our spouses, good reasons to kind of be disappointed with our kids, good reasons to be disappointed with our church. We've been provoked in many ways, but love doesn't get provoked. It's like, you poked me, but I'm not going to poke you back. You poked me, and I'm, I'm just going to, like, forget about it. I'm going to let it go. It keeps no record of wrongs is the way that it says it in another place, okay? Thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It doesn't actually want to see people fail. It wants to see them succeed. It doesn't find any vindication in the guy that offended you falling. It is actually, oh, that's somebody God made. I want to see him succeed, right? Uh. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are, whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So the whole point, what you want to be found in, is faith, hope, and love. And love is really the point of the Ephesus stuff I'm talking about. So Jesus requires love to his standard, not ours, and he sees inside. We can fool people in ourselves into thinking we're loving, but not Jesus. You're not going to fool them at all. He knows exactly where you're at, and so do you, actually. He's removing tears right now, and they mostly will not know it because they'll just keep self-soothing. Okay, I'm doing all the things that are required, even though I don't love. I'm doing all the things that are required. That's why the tears actually don't know that they're being gathered together and burned. You don't want that to happen. You actually want to say, okay, you don't need my help with any of this stuff. Am I growing in love? Am I actually less guarded, more open, more engaged? I see my enemies as people God loves and that he made them. And maybe I don't know their whole story. Maybe I don't know all the reasons that they did the thing that they did. And they don't know all the reasons I did the thing that I did. But God does. And he knows them. So I can afford to love my enemies because God loves me. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, the war is focused on identity, this war against love, this war against 1 Corinthians 13. That's what I said. Satan is actually warring against this, this love. It's focused on identity. That's the way Satan attacks your love, is based on, everybody say identity. Identity. 
That means who you see yourself as, what the point of your life is, what the sum total of all the things you've done, what they mean. Now, this is very emotional. What I'm about to describe to you is very emotional, but you actually want to see it in the truth of the Spirit, okay? Because God has an identity for you that you mostly haven't touched yet. God has a name written on a white stone, according to the, to the letters to the seven churches, that only he knows. Even you don't know it. God actually defines your life in the span of billions of years. And you've only lived about, I mean, at the top end, what, 80? At the low end, 20. 85? Well, you might know a little more about this then. You're still just starting, though, right? Drop in the bucket. So God, he's defining who you are over billions and billions, and that's just getting started, trillions of years. So whatever you've experienced so far, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 85 years, that's nothing. That's nothing in the experience God's already had of you. He knows all your days before the first one started. He actually knows you in a billion years. Can you imagine that? So it's worth it to find your identity there. That's the one that matters. This is the being born again. This is like, it'd be like when Noah was in his mother's womb, if I was like, I, the hands aren't that big. The feet, I, I mean, they'll probably work. I mean, the hair, there's no hair. Is it going to be bald? Like, I'd be trying to determine his identity in the womb. That's crazy, right? Because now, as a 24-year-old man, he doesn't look anything like he did in the, the, you know, the, the pictures that they gave me when they scanned her stomach. He's happy. Yeah, he is happy. He's a good boy. He's much, he's much more than, I mean, I love him so much more than I ever would have thought when he was in his mom's womb. And I thought I, lo- I thought I was like, that was like the best news I ever had when they did the, I can't remember the name of the scan, ultrasound. Yeah, when they did the ultrasound, I'm like, this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened in my life. And now I look at him, and I'm like, this is my friend and my brother, and he, gives, he holds me accountable, and I love him, and I miss him, and he tells me things, and I tell him things. Like, you don't know who you are yet. Don't find your identity here. Find it seated in the heavens with Jesus. If you'll do that, he'll give you everything you need to endure this moment in time. But if you won't do that, if you feel like people are threatening your identity right now, you'll trade it all for nothing. You'll literally sell it all for a bowl of soup, and it won't satisfy you. Do you get what I'm saying? Now listen, Ephesians is a book about identity and warfare. The warfare is actually an identity warfare and to maturing in love. And what I mean is, what Paul says in Ephesians, he says, you, you be tempted to think you're fighting against flesh and blood, but you're not. You're fighting against the spirit and power of the air. You've you got to get the right identity. Where is your war happening? Is it happening here or is it happening here? Right? Because Satan's lower. He's been cast to the earth. Look it around. He's raging. He knows his time is short. Don't fight here. Fight here. Right? Seated in the heavens, looking at life right, looking at yourself right, understanding how God feels about you, getting an identity that can't be taken away. And the way that the Lord's been saying, he's been saying this to me for about a month and a half now. And the way he shows it to me, he says, he says Tommy, if I took your life, you're 50, I'm 50 years old. He says, if I took your life and I wadded up that clay, took it off the potter's wheel, crumpled it up and threw it back on the wheel, would you be okay with that? Would you be okay if you being an environmental consultant for 30 years didn't matter anymore? Would you be okay if your house, it wasn't what defined your success? Would you be okay if all your relationships, all the people that know you here, if I just took that, I wanted it back up, threw it back on the potter's wheel, would you actually let me remake you? He says, if you won't let me remake you, you'll be stuck where you're at right now. We don't want to let that happen. We live in a moment of intense change. We live in a moment where uh, uh, seven churches are becoming a pure spotless bride. Let him take your life. Let him ball it up. Let him throw it back on the potter's wheel. However he decides to do that. Now, he might, 
Be using all the history, the legacy, all the things that you're keeping. But if he's not telling you to keep that, don't keep it. Just let him ball. This is a word for you. Let him oh, ball it up. Throw it back on the wheel. It'll be better. It'll be more beautiful. It'll be more, much more. That's what he keeps saying. He says, if you let me do that, I'll give you much more than you've ever had before. But it's a risk. It's faith. That's what happened to Jesus. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, has it all been a waste? Is there any other way? Not my will, but yours. And he said, son, let me take this, ball it up, throw it on the wheel. I'll resurrect you. It's more. It's more than you could ask or imagine. I'll give you a name above every other name. You go to the depths, I'll give you a name above every other name. It's not too late to do this. It's never too late to say, I am whatever God says I am. And whatever all that was, I'm going to forget what's behind me, and I'm going to run my race. Right? Can we let that go? Can we let that identity that we're trying to keep together go? That's the question facing the church right now. Can we just let it go? Can we let God be God and define us as something new? Can we be a new creation? Do we really believe when God found us that he found something that needed to be destroyed, to be killed and reborn? Or did we think he found something that's pretty good, needed to be cleaned up, and he's been brushing us off this whole time, but what he really found was worth saving? It wasn't. It was going to hell. And he said, unless you die, you can't be mine. Unless you take up your cross and follow me. If you won't let your flesh be killed, you can't inherit the kingdom. The flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom. Only, the, only that born of the spirit. And so we're tempted to look at all of the things that have happened in our lives and try to make sense of them and try to keep them together and try to let that define why, what we do right now. That's all the flesh. That's all going to hell. But if we just say, you brought me this far. You'll take me the rest of the way. When you found me, I was at my worst. You've done so much. I'm yours. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, God. That's what Paul did. You know, Paul, when he found Paul, Paul was so good at stuff. He had a whole history of being amazing, a great Pharisee. He said, as far as the law goes, blameless. And when God knocked him down on that road, shined that light on him and turned him around, he said, throw it back on the wheel, God. And God did, and we read his words to this day. Do you know if Paul wouldn't have said yes, we would have no idea who he was. He would just been another person trying to kill Jesus, just another nameless, faceless rebel. But because he let God remake him, to this day we read his words. His, his generation hated him. All the other believers that were with him, almost all of them left him. Do you know that? People you read about in the Bible, they abandoned him in the last days of his life. But we read his words. I don't read Titus's words. I don't even know what Barnabas's words were. I know what Paul's words were because Paul said, throw me back on the wheel. Over and over. Shipwreck, beating, chains, throw me back on the wheel. Throw me back on the wheel. I don't define, I don't even judge myself is what he said. I let God judge me. Can you do this? Can you find this love? The only way to find it is to find the identity that's laid out in the book of Ephesians about you. You've been given every spiritual gift. You're seated with Jesus in the heavens. He's actually maturing you into a brand new creation. That's what the book of Ephesians is laying out. I'm running out of time quick. i got about 10 minutes left. So Ephesians is a book about identity and warfare unto maturing in love. Identity is the main place Satan will try to use to sift you out of the kingdom. This idea about who you are, not letting God redefine you. Trying to save your life here will cause you to lose it. Now, everybody stay with me. I put a box around this because this is the most important, this is the main point of this message. If we know who we are, 
then we can afford to resist Satan in the spirit. If you know who you are, you can actually resist Satan in the spirit with the power of the spirit. If you don't know who you are, you can only resist him in the flesh. If you resist Satan in the flesh, it just worked. He got you. Sin is a virus. Do you know what a virus does to its host? It turns its host against itself. A virus has nothing without its host. It uses its host's functions to turn it against itself. So we actually have to know Satan has, he's, there's nothing he can do but really lie to us. He gets us to believe the wrong thing. We'll start working counter to our own identity, to our own destiny. Do you see what I'm saying? Stay with me for just a second. If we don't know who, we, who and whose we are, we'll be drawn out of the kingdom by trying to resist Satan with satanic leadership or flesh leadership. We are then divided and conquered. Now, look, this is the way that the devil tried to do it to Jesus. Luke 4, 3 to 4. And the devil said to him, if you are, if this is really your identity, if you're really a believer, Alice, turn the bread into stones. Or turn the stones into bread, (laughs) right? If you're really a believer, Michelle, why don't you take it into your own hands and show everybody you're a believer? If you're really a follower of Yeshua, why don't you grit your teeth and make this relationship work? But Jesus didn't do that. Why? Because he knew he was the Son of God. It wasn't a question for him. Satan's saying if. Jesus isn't saying if. I am a child of God. I'll do whatever he says. I am a child of God. That question's answered for me. I'll do whatever he says. Do you see what I'm saying? So this war against love, it's touching your identity. If you're really a good person, if you've really been a servant to this church, and that person's making it look like you weren't, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to go like a lamb to the slaughter silently not saying a word? Or are you going to make your case? Defend your rights. Lay out how you did it because God told you to. Lay out all these things that are really defending your identity in the person you want everybody to see you as. Or are you like, take the clay, throw it on the wheel, God. If everybody's going to misunderstand me so that I can learn love, may it be as you say. (laughs) Whatever it takes for me to learn love. Is I'm trying to always scrap together how people see me and make sense of what I've spent my last 10 years doing. I won't learn love. I won't learn that he's trustworthy, that I can actually just let him take it and do something with it, however he sees fit. You see what I'm saying? This is practical. This isn't theoretical. This isn't a story about Paul's life. This is a story about your life. The way that you do Monday, the way that you do Tuesday, the way that people misunderstand you, the way that people hear you sing, and you make a lot of reasons why you don't sing that great yet, or that one didn't go that good, or the way you mom, or the way you work or the way that you carry yourself at church. Like there's all these identities we're trying to save. And Jesus is like, stop doing that love, 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 love. That's what Satan wanted Jesus to do. If Jesus would have done that, if Jesus would have turned those stones into bread to show Satan he was the son of God, he wouldn't have been the Messiah anymore. He would have rejected the father's leadership. Thankfully, he did not do that. And he said, I sanctified myself that you would be sanctified. Can you listen to the accuser and then say, God, what are we doing? (laughs) What are we doing? Or do you hear the accuser do a bunch of stuff and say, God, please fix it? Right? If Jesus would have done that, he would have been disqualified as the Messiah. So we have to be people that are like, okay, I know who I am. Now, this is a process. This takes time. How do you find out who you are? If somebody made you, do they know you? 
intimately. Like, Annie, if God put together your lungs and your rib cage, doesn't he know? I mean, he put together your heart, your emotional chemistry. Isn't he the one who knows who Annie really is? Do you know who you are? No, not according to Jeremiah. Jeremiah says the heart is slippery beyond deceit. It will lie to you. Your emotions, your thinker will lie to you. God is the only one who knows who you really are. And so we have to be people, when an accuser comes and accuses us, we're like, God, this guy's feeling these words a certain way. How are you feeling them? What do they mean to you? You know something more about me than I do. And you might just be surprised that God is like, you know, is there any truth in it? Maybe there's something that you and I could talk about that your accuser could fall in the pit that they dug for you and you actually become a saved person in this situation. Like, maybe you are impatient. Why don't we talk about that? Why are you feeling impatient? Well, I'm afraid. Well, let me show you how much I'll take care of you and suddenly you get free of impatience. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why in Matthew 5, it says, make peace with your accuser while you're in the way or your adversary while you're in the way. Like, you are safe if you're talking to God, no matter what anybody does to you. You're safe if you're talking to God. So you have to have a confidence in your identity so you can boldly come before this throne of grace in a new and living way, sprinkled by the blood is the way it says it in Hebrews, okay? So if you're the son of God, command the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Jesus was learning that he was the son of God. He had to actually do that in faith. According to the Bible, Jesus was born as a baby and people taught him stuff. And God taught him stuff, and he grew in favor with God and man. So this is a faith thing that he's saying. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus was learning that he was the son of God. He had to learn just like we do. Everything Jesus did was in faith and came in the flesh, and he came in the flesh, which means he had to deal with his own self-leadership and put it to death choice by choice. Jesus didn't get some, some privilege that you don't have. He actually let himself become uh, birthed. Testing of the devil in the desert. He had to learn choice by choice. This was one of the choices. So he didn't turn the stones into bread. He didn't, you know, worship the devil and win the thing that the cross was going to actually be the path to. Turning water into wine. He died to his own self-leadership. His mom said, it's time. He's like, woman, it's not time. And then he turned the water into wine. God said something to him through his mom, right? He said, I only do what I see the father doing. Somehow his mother prompted him to ask the question, and then he turned the water into wine. Do you see what I'm saying? You have to be willing to die to your own self-leadership. Lazarus being raised from the dead. You know when Jesus came four days later? He moaned when he saw all the mourners. It hurt his heart to be seen as somebody unloving. It hurt his heart. But he wasn't unloving. He was loving. He raised Lazarus, right? Wanting to force his followers into maturity. Okay, and I'll give you Matthew 17, 17. If you go down, Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. This is what Jesus felt about the people that were following him. Did he keep bearing with them? Yeah, he denied his own self-leadership, but he felt it. He just loved them. He, kept, he stayed connected. He stayed open. He stayed helpful. He wanted to teach more. Do you know that Jesus wanted to teach a lot more than he actually taught? It's because the people that were with him couldn't bear it. So listen to this. He says this, oh, uh, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. John 16, this is the Last Supper. You ever felt that way? I just want you to know all these things. And the Holy Spirit's saying, they, they can't receive it. Will you have self-control? Can you die to your own self-leadership? This is where love is found. This is Satan wants to attack our identity. If you don't say it all, they won't get it all. Then you won't be seen as somebody who is helpful 
Well, that's it. God says I'm helpful if I obey him. I am a child of God. It's not if I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. Do you get what I'm saying? So we have to learn to recognize where is Satan attacking my identity? And why am I trying to save the guy that was supposed to die instead of letting God take that lump of clay and throw it back on the wheel? Where, where am I in danger of love growing cold? Because what's happening all over the earth right now is confusion. People aren't seeing each other right. Do you see that? People are just generalizing, lumping people together, accusing them all together. This is satanic. This is love growing cold. This is why Ephesus in Revelation 2 is doing all this stuff, gritting her teeth, getting along, but not loving. Not loving. If you want to see yourself right, Abe, you want to come up? Then you got to go up. You got to go up into the heavenly place, okay? The cross. Jesus didn't want the cross. That's what Gethsemane was about. He was like, God, is there any other way? But he died to his own shelf leadership. That was the ultimate act of love was the cross. The ultimate expression of the, of the love of God was his son on the cross. Are we ready to take up our cross and follow him? You'll only be ready if you know you're a child of God. If, you're, if it's an if, you'll actually work counter to this very thing. So if you want, if you want that, just stand with me. We're going to ask God to talk to us about who we are. Now, I encourage you, we haven't really read much of the book of Ephesians yet. Next week, I'm going to start digging into the actual practicalities of the book of Ephesians. Read Ephesians. If you want to be, if you want to be, I believe the Holy Spirit's saying this to us. Read the book of Ephesians with this in mind. Who am I, God? What is happening? What's the war that I'm fighting? Am I fighting flesh and blood? Or am I fighting the prince and power of the air? Holy Spirit, in this room right now, I'm asking, just for a moment to consider what we're trying to save. Lord, how am I trying to save how people see me? Or where's my identity actually keeping me from freedom? Or where am I ashamed? Just ask him, God, where am I ashamed? You don't know. You think you're ashamed in some places. He says you're actually ashamed in some other places. It takes a spirit to see this. In this room, God, I want you to start replacing that identity that we're trying to save with the real one. Lord, would you give us grace and patience with ourselves as you birth us again? That we'd stop judging how we look. And we don't even know what we'll be, but we know we'll be like him when he appears. Just in this room right now, confidence. Confidence that your way works, God. You are rebirthing us. We're being born again right now. More, 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 more. Just accusation and shame, condemnation, I bind you in the name of Jesus. I cancel the assignment of shame in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, thank you for confidence. Just tell, tell them, thank you for confidence. You might, not, you might not be possessing it yet, but you thank your way into it. Thank you for confidence before this throne, God. Thank you for confidence. Fill this room with the glory of Jesus. You're all part of the body of Jesus. He likes his body. It looks good. It works right. It functions correctly. Pour it out, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.